Well, some words are just fun to say. Wabi-sabi. I posted on Facebook that I was preparing for a platform address on Wabi-sabi, and I got lots of little comments, and I wanted to share the best of them with you, which was from Nancy McGuire, who's here uh, this morning. She wrote, Wabi-sabi-wasabi is hot and spicy every day, which is both sort of fun to say and accurate as well. Wabi-sabi, as you heard from our children's story this morning, is a Japanese concept. And I think Japanese concepts are somehow increasing in popularity in the American imagination right now, from wabi-sabi to wasabi peas as well. Wabi-sabi, though, is not actually hot and spicy food. It's a Japanese worldview or aesthetic related to Buddhism, but not a kind of Buddhism now, one that really transcends religious and philosophical traditions. It is, though, tied to three Buddhist concepts, impermanence or transience, suffering, and emptiness. It's an experience of beauty within those three concepts, And there's really two ways that wabi-sabi shows us beauty. It's about experiencing the beautiful in the everyday, especially in nature, in simplicity, and uncluttered aesthetic. That's the wabi part. And it's about experiencing the beautiful specifically in the rough or the imperfect. That's the sabi part. The words themselves are difficult to translate. But originally, wabi meant something like loneliness found in nature, or basic, simple. And sabi meant something like withered or decayed. You can see there, I think, that relationship to those Buddhist concepts of transience, suffering, and emptiness, concepts that, especially to the Western mind, can seem negative or sad, and there is a darkness to wabi-sabi. But over time, the translation of the words, the meaning of the words wabi and sabi came to take on more positive connotations. The words themselves and the concepts are originally from China, but came into fullness in Japanese culture and understanding. And about 700 years ago, the concept of wabi-sabi, the idea or the feeling of wabi-sabi, became a key concept for Japanese nobility to understand. You see it now in Japanese aesthetics, especially in the tea ceremony. Just like our wabi-sabi story this morning where we discovered the meaning of wabi-sabi in haikus, in the beauty of the silver temple that wasn't silver, in the simple act of making tea and drinking it from a pottery bowl. Taro Gold, a writer and Buddhist practitioner, tells us, in the narrow view, wabi-sabi fosters a bohemian sense of beauty that celebrates the basic, the unique, and the imperfect. In the wider sense, wabi-sabi is a worldview that supports ecocentric living and compassionate humanism. And Mark Ripstein, the author of our wabi-sabi story this morning, says, Wabi-sabi is a way of seeing the world. It finds beauty and harmony in what is simple, imperfect, natural, modest, and mysterious. It can be a little dark, but it is also warm and comfortable. 
It may be understood as a feeling rather than as an idea. End quote. Wabi-sabi, that feeling of wabi-sabi, is in many ways a spiritual practice about appreciation, mindfulness, and awareness. It's also, and if you look out in the blogosphere, you can see that for many people, it's a way to decorate our homes, the wabi-sabi look. That's not inconsequential, I think, particularly in a culture of materialism where we want more and more. The idea of de-excessing, putting away and giving away until we have just what is simple and beautiful to look at, can be a relatively countercultural idea. Although I will also say that you can spend a lot of money getting just the right wabi-sabi vase. That might not be exactly what the spiritual practice would have us do. Any good spiritual practice, though, has to sustain us when life does not feel beautiful. And that's, I think, where wabi-sabi really comes into its fullness. It's not just beauty in simplicity, but beauty in imperfection, beauty in brokenness. Last night, as I was preparing for this platform, I was experiencing an unusual amount of arthritis pain. Anybody else have that? It's the barometric pressure, I think, going back and forth. Yes, some hands are up. Boy, it was bad last night. And so I thought, well, I can sit here and work on my platform, or I can embody wabi-sabi. So I did the latter and took a bath. And as I sat there in the warm water with some salts, some lavender salts, I thought, this is wabi-sabi. This noticing the warmth, the fragrance, even in the midst of pain, that's that experience that we're trying to get to, I think. Wabi-sabi is about appreciation. Some of you have taken an appreciative living class that was offered here at West. And I think there's a resonance with that spiritual practice as well, noticing and appreciating the positive even in difficult moments. It resonates, too, for me with the idea of grace that we talked about a few weeks ago, noticing the beauty that exists around us. In fact, that's how we found Wabi Sabi here at the Ethical Society. A West member heard my description of grace and thought it sounded like Wabi Sabi. So thank you, Elise, for finding that. There's a recognition in Wabi Sabi that perfection is an impossible goal and that beauty is instead already here, right in the imperfection. In some way, this makes me think, too, of founder, the founder of ethical culture, Felix Adler, who talked about the value-worth paradigm. Value is, you know, what we bring to society, our car, our job, our fancy house. It's a never-ending search for perfection, a search that's ultimately impossible because we can't find perfection out there. And so instead, said Adler, instead of being defined by the value we bring, we are defined really by the worth we hold inside us, a worth that no one can take away, a worth that exists even in our imperfection. What, though, about really big brokenness? Not just about arthritis pain one evening, not just about the daily sadness that we experience, but about the brokenness. Many wabi-sabi books are written for American audiences, really detailing our appreciation and the beauty in our own lives. 
Now, that kind of spiritual awareness and experience is important, and it can make a real difference in how we experience and live in the world. But what about the rest of the world? Our world is deeply and tragically broken, and many of us lead lucky lives relatively. I feel this dissonance most deeply when I look at my children. I'm so aware of the luck of having two healthy children. I have friends who want children deeply and don't have them. I served for a time as chaplain to a high-risk pregnancy ward and served in the NICU there. And so I know keenly how lucky it is to have those children. I know, too, my great privilege in being able to provide for my children everything that they need, many things they want as well. I see the luck and the privilege of having those children, and I see the exceptional beauty of those children in my lives. My children deserve to have that beauty named and recognized, to have it honored. At the same time, though, and this is where the dissonance feels strongest for me, at the same time, I am aware of the deep sadness of other families, other children, without that luck and without that privilege. Our Share the Plate beneficiary this morning is Courtney's House, which provides uh, services for children and youth here in the D.C. area who are involved in sex trafficking. It's only one instance of a kind of horror, the experience of children so different than my childhood, than the childhood I'm able to offer to my children. Experiencing that dissonance between the luck and privilege of my own life And the way many people experience the world sometimes honestly just makes me want to run away, bury my head in the sand. How can I reconcile a happy life with the great hurt in the world? I think that there's a wabi-sabi answer for us, and maybe an even bigger answer found in beauty. Carol Gold, the author I quoted earlier, talks about the pull toward environmentalism in particular because of the love of nature inherent in wabi-sabi. But he draws a larger connection between the inner and outer world, the way our environment affects us and the way we affect our environment, and the need in wabi-sabi feeling for those two things to be in harmony. Looking even broader toward the idea of beauty itself, I turn toward an essay that that some of you may know called On Beauty and Being Just by Elaine Scarry. Scarry posits that beauty is actually a way of seeing fairness in the world, That, that the call of beauty, our experience of beauty, pulls us to create fairness in the world around us. Scary is arguing against the idea that beauty is just for the elite, that that the experience of beauty is a kind of luxury or self-indulgence. It calls us, she says, to create justice in the world. Beauty goes hand in hand with justice. I would say, this is like a wabi-sabi sound moment. Yeah? 
So we planned this specifically so that you could experience the beauty of listening through the imperfection. Would you like the handheld? I was talking about the call to justice work that beauty pulls out of us. And what I would say is that justice work grounded in beauty is also stronger, longer lasting, more life-giving than justice work grounded in sadness or in want. Justice work that comes out of our deep grief for the world. It's easy, I think, to see brokenness and the need to do more work, right? We see what is so deeply broken in the world and we feel called to repair it. But the problem is that there will always be something more that is broken. And so there's always that possibility that we that we lose, in the end, a sense of hope, that we see the one more broken thing and we find ourselves lost in depression, in anger, that like me, looking around at what is broken in children's lives, I want to just run and hide. The best justice workers, I think, are the ones that do their work out of a sense of spiritual grounding, a grounding that acknowledges the tension in the world between brokenness and beauty. In a very real way, when we see the beauty around us, it makes us, as Scary would tell us, want to save the world even more. A couple of weeks ago, Ned Tillman spoke at our Earth Day platform about mucking around in nature, about getting into the mud of the stream, and how out of that comes his love and work for environmentalism. The same can be said of my experience with my children in naming their beauty, in naming the luck and the privilege that we have in our family together. I feel called to work for children's rights and children's safety around the world. It's a much, for me, a much deeper pull, a deeper call than to see all that is wrong and all that is broken. Finding our justice work then not out of deficiency, but out of beauty, out of wonder, out of naming the miraculous and amazing around us. Our work then becomes one of trying to honor the beauty that we see, even as we see the brokenness and strive to heal it. We know that in the end we won't be able to make the world perfect, that perfect isn't attainable any more than we ourselves are perfect. Wabi-sabi, then, I think, offers us two things in justice work and in our own lives. An experience of the beauty around us, an experience of beauty in imperfection. It is in some ways, I think, the deepest tension in our lives that tension between the idea that the world will never be perfect, but that we're still called to name it as beautiful. It's the core tension of religion, or maybe even the tension, the core tension of humanity, the tension that religion and philosophy and spiritual practice that wabi-sabi tries to reconcile, offers a way of reconciling, or at least of holding the tension in balance of living with the tension. That tension is never going to go away either, any more than brokenness and imperfection will go away. But if we can see that tension, 
if we can name the tension between brokenness and beauty and honor it and find even that tension beautiful. That, perhaps, is wabi-sabi. I cannot wish for life to be perfect for you. And so I wish today that in its imperfection you find beauty. Wabi-sabi.